0: So we've got a relatively long reading. Um, so what we're going to do is we're going to read Luke four verses fourteen to forty four. Now, as we pray, and then we'll read the rest of the chapter or the rest of the passage later on. So Luke four, beginning at verse fourteen, and it says this: And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out through all the surrounding country. He taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. And all spoke well of him, and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, And none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath. And they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. He went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed, and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue, and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she rose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had, uh, who had any who were sick, with various diseases, brought them to him. And he lays his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, we're going to pick up our reading at Luke 5, verse 1, and read to 6, verse 16. And it says this. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets were breaking they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them and they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink but when simon peter saw it he fell down at jesus' knees saying depart from me for i am a sinful man o lord for he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken and so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid, from now on you will be catching men. And when they brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him, and he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and, and make an offering for your cleansing, as Moses commanded, for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days he was teaching Pharisees and teachers of law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with them to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralysed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went upon the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies, who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. An amazement sees them all. And they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, We have seen extraordinary things today. After this he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And leaving everything, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said to him, The disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he'll tear the new, and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst, and the skins and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says, the old is good. On a Sabbath, while he was going through the cornfields, his disciples plucked and ate some ears of corn, rubbing them in their hands. But some of the Pharisees said, why are you doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath? And Jesus answered them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and also gave it to those with him. And he said to them, The Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath he entered the synagogue and was teaching, and a man was there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and the Pharisees watched him to see whether he would heal on the Sabbath, so they might find a reason to accuse him. But he knew their thoughts, and he said to the man with the withered hand, Come and stand here. And he rose and stood there, and Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And after looking around at them, all, he he said to them, Stretch out your hand. And he did so. His hand was restored, but they were filled with fury and disgust, with one another, what they might do to Jesus. In these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And When day came, he called his disciples, and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles, Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called a zealot. And Judas, the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became a traitor. Well, in a moment, we're going to have a look at that passage. Before we do, there's a few things to mention. The first is question time, that will be coming up at the end of the sermon, so do be aware of that. The second is the sermon outline that's in your service sheet, which you can use or abuse at your pleasure. And the final thing to mention, oh yeah, we need to pray. Let's pray and ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, as we read this passage that we can say, your son has come and he identifies as the one that Isaiah spoke of. We thank you that you've given him a very clear ministry, that he would come to call the righteous, not the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Shall we pray as we reflect on these things today that we would fit into the category of the repentant sinner. Amen. Back in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve are excluded from the presence of God. And it all relates to how they respond to God's word. So the very well-known word that God speaks, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Now the time before this, the last time God spoke, well that was when he was bringing the universe into existence. What he said happened. On this occasion, he's given a single prohibition, but he does so in the context of the generosity of giving them every other tree to eat from. Of course, you know how the story goes. Adam and Eve do not listen to God's word. They do eat from the tree and they are excluded from the presence of God. In today's passage, Jesus speaks. And what he says, he says to Peter. You see it in verse 5, verse 4. And when he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Peter carefully listens to Jesus' word. And Peter dutifully does as Jesus has asked, despite his misgivings. Peter's been fishing all night, and there are no fish to catch. But on the word of Jesus, he lets down his nets, only to pull up enough fish. To almost sink two boats. Peter recognises that Jesus' word has power. Not dissimilar to the power seen at creation. And this receives a severe response from Peter. To which he replies to Jesus. Depart from me. For I I'm a sinful man, O oh Lord. Peter wants to keep his distance from Jesus because Peter is a sinful man. But Jesus includes Peter. Not because Jesus disagrees with Peter's self evaluation, because Jesus never corrects Peter. But rather by including Peter, Jesus makes it clear that he will include sinful men among those who are closest to him. Next, Jesus comes across someone else who is also excluded. If you were here for our studies in Numbers, you'll remember As the people anticipated coming into the land. God gave them a comprehensive sacrificial system. It was this sacrificial system that meant a holy God could dwell with a sinful people. And as part of this system, there were numerous holy items that were used. But it was crucial that these items didn't become contaminated. Because if they were contaminated by the unclean, the whole sacrificial system was compromised. And so anyone who was unclean was excluded or kept outside the camp. And so if a relative had died and you'd been in contact with the dead body, you'd have to be put outside of the camp for a specified amount of days until you were considered clean again. However, the leper, he was in a different category. Since there was no cure, he would not be made clean. It didn't matter how long he was kept out of the camp, he was forever unclean. So the leper was completely excluded. But Jesus has the power to make the leper clean. So this is no longer any need for him to be excluded. Then in the next account, Jesus forgives the sins of the paralytic. And it's this statement that the scribes and the Pharisees object to. As far as they're concerned, Jesus hasn't the authority to forgive sins. Jesus' response is to provide his critics with unquestionable proof that his earlier statement already applies to the man. His sins have been forgiven, and that is corroborated by the fact that the man Can now walk. Notice that here is a man who's sick. Who needs a doctor. Just as he's a sinner. Who needs to be called to repentance. Now all these. Different accounts. What they've done is begun to lay the groundwork. For when Jesus meets Levi. Luke doesn't need to explain that Levi is a sinner. Because the term tax collector is enough to convey this detail. Yet again there is this expectation that like Peter. The leper. And the paralytic man. That Levi as a tax tax collector would be excluded But at Jesus' request, the Levi, follow me. Luke writes with finality. So verse 28. After Jesus says, follow me, Luke writes, and leaving everything, he rose and followed him. Clearly in this statement, there is no room for A return to work after lunch or the following day. Levi's act of repentance is a complete turning away from the sin of extortion as a tax collector. And completely embracing the Lord who has included him. His response to the news that he has been included is to hold a feast to celebrate. So notice the progression of the chapter. Peter identifies himself as a sinner. But nothing more is said. We must take his word for it. But then we can see that there's a relationship between Peter and the leper. Because now neither of them are excluded because Jesus has included both of them. The paralytic, we're to assume that he was a sinner because Jesus had to forgive his sins. But then by the time we get to Levi, we're now, there can be no question about his status because he's actually caught in the act. He sat at the tax collector's booth where the extortion takes place. Yet, with Levi, we see him produce the fruit of repentance. It's seen by the feast he arranges. Because of the joy he feels, because he's now turned from his sins, and because his sins have been forgiven. So this leads us to the question, what of the Pharisees' criticisms? So you see this in verse 30 of chapter 5. Let's go back to 29 to see the context. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And the Pharisees and their scribes grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors? and sinners now here's the interesting thing because we could go back to John the Baptist and maybe explore the possibility that they are making a similar criticism of John the Baptist so just turn back to Luke chapter 3 and verse 7 Luke chapter 3 and verse 7. So John the Baptist, he said therefore to the crowds that came out to be baptised by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? So do the Pharisees and scribes, do they stand in line with John the Baptist when sinners came to him? he called out the sinner and describes them as a brood of vipers. Or is something different going on here at Levi's party? Well, given everything we've seen from the text, there is to be found a difference between those that gather around John and those that attend Levi's party. The attendees of Levi's party are repentant. Jesus accepts the repentant. But the Pharisees' criticism of Jesus means that they would wish to exclude the repentant sinner. Now at this point, it's worth spending a moment focusing in on Jesus' reply to the Pharisees' criticism. That's found in verse 31 and verse 32 of chapter 5. When Jesus answered them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to Repentance. Now we've already intimated how the paralytic connects to this statement. He's a man who sought out Jesus because he could not walk. And this is why he needed Jesus. However, Jesus uh, Jesus goes above and beyond. Jesus was was able to forgive the sins of the man, which he was able to evidence by making the lame man walk. What is striking with Peter is his self-evaluation. He believes as a sinner he must keep his distance from Jesus. However, it's Peter's recognition that he is a sinner, in need of his sins forgiven, which means Peter can follow the instructions when Jesus gives them. He can accept Jesus' inclusion as a sinner, called to repentance. So too with Levi, his joy in being called by Jesus comes from the very fact that he recognises that he is a sinner and is pleased to be able to leave everything behind to come and follow Jesus. But these examples, these men, come as a sharp contrast to the Pharisees. For the Pharisees aren't sinners. They insist they are righteous. But by insisting this, they do not fit in to the ministry which Jesus has come to do. Because Jesus has come to call sinners to repentance. Repentance. Which means the righteous are excluded. Jesus' ministry is closely tied to the account of Genesis 1-3. to We briefly consider this at the start of today's sermon. How the sinner is excluded from God's presence. And it has to do with the fact that Adam and Eve did not obey God's word. But in contrast to Adam and Eve, Peter obeys Jesus' word, despite the apparent absurdity of it. But the consequence is, Peter's bitterly frightened. Because the word of Jesus brings to mind the creative power that is, with only a few exceptions, unique to that of Genesis 1. Jesus only has to say the word. And so, like Adam and Eve, Peter expects to be excluded from the presence of God. It's worth also mentioning the paralytic. With Adam and Eve, sin and death become intricately linked. Everyone born of Adam is a sinner, and everyone would die. That our bodies do not always work as they should is a reminder that that, that one day... They will fail completely. We will die, and that's because we're sinners. So when Jesus heals the paralytic man, he demonstrates he has the power to reverse the effects of the fall. That he can forgive sins. And this anticipates that he will conquer death. There's a great significance in this man, Jesus. And so when he's questioned about fasting, naturally he explains that the new era has arrived. Now isn't the time for fasting because the bridegroom has arrived. The year of the Lord's favour is here. Now is not the time for fasting, now is the time for feasting and rejoicing with God. The repentant sinner is included. And Jesus explains at the end of chapter 5 that to hold fast to the old ways will mean you never desire to try, desire to try the new. And we can infer from this that all that awaits those people is exclusion. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you that you sent your Son into the world to call sinners to repentance. And as we have reflected numerous times over the past few uh, minutes about this, we pray Lord, that we would appreciate that it's not just the sinner, but it's the sinner who's repentant that you include. We pray, Lord, that we would appreciate the full implications of this. We pray, Lord, that we would share the joy of Levi. And we would not oppose your plans like the Pharisees. But rather, we would be gladly included in those sinners who are repentant and are included amongst those closest to you. Amen. Amen. Well, I mentioned at the start there'd be an opportunity for questions. The time has arrived. Questions, comments, thoughts on the things that we've been thinking about. Yep, good comment. So, and Levi made him a great feast in his house. There was a large company of tax collectors and others reclined at table with them. How would you think about these other... Uh, tax collectors and, you know, are they necessarily repentant? Yeah, and I I guess I kind of inferred in the sermon that they were, but I guess he's going to be a little bit more fluid than that in reality. So obviously we can take, we we know for a fact Levi is repentant and it's his celebration of that. I guess, you know, what What do you do when you hear good news? You want to bring those who are closest to you into that good news. So he holds a feast and he invites just people he knows, <clears throat> happen to be tax collectors. I guess at this point the question is, how do those tax collectors respond to that news, you know, to being part of the feast? Uh, you know, and you could hope that some would join him in his repentance. You can imagine some would take a bit of time to think about it and others would just reject it and go back to once the feast is over. But but then I guess when I was talking about it, we sort of thinking in terms of... So I guess, you know, I don't know, you could get say that that is Jesus in that I'm calling these people, will they be part of the repentance or will they not? Um, and then... But... That's the reason why, obviously they're unhappy because he's spending time with tax collectors and sinners but the only way he can call them to, to repentance is by including them and the result he's looking for is that repentance and therefore what they are ultimately dismissing is the repentant sinner being included so yeah it's probably helpful just to include those steps So 33 to 39, I'll I'll read it through quickly. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And Jesus said to them, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. He also told them a parable, no one tears a piece from a new garment and puts on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. No one puts new wine into the old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst, the skins and it will be spilled, and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins. And no one after drinking old wine desires new, for he says the old is good. So you've got a number of different things going on. Let's start with the um, old and the new. So you've got this idea that it's not a good idea to put a new thing on an old garment, or new wine in old wineskins. So that, it's this idea that Jesus has come in and it's now the new era, so it's like this new phase of redemptive history. And so that means the things of the old era won't necessarily fit. Um, And so now all that's come about because of the fasting. So there's this expectation that they should be fasting. And he's saying, but why would you fast? Because... Um, I'm here, the Messiah's arrived, so let's celebrate because the Messiah's arrived. Um, now, it says the day will come when the bridegroom's taken away from them. Now, I think that refers to um, the cross when there's a, a sadness the disciples' field, uh, and of course, but of course that comes to an end, so that's the time when the sadness, the fasting and sadness correlates there. And then you get, um, in verse 39, it's, things are slightly coming from a different angle. There are some people who are so happy with the old wine that if you offer them better stuff or newer stuff, they just think, no, I'm happy with this. So again, it's kind of like talking about the Pharisees and the scribes who uh, don't recognize that the Messiah is here and are quite happy just getting on with their business So. Sort of. But, of course, they end up missing the whole point. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, no, it's a fair point. Um, Well, I don't know. I I mean, I don't know a lot about wine. But, yeah, the the longer it matures, the better. But then you can leave it too long, can't you? And then it becomes undrinkable. But, yeah. So, yeah, all that sort of stuff is kind of in there. (laughs) Time for one more? Yes. Good question. Yeah, I think this is quite intriguing, isn't it? So let me repeat the question. In verse 20 it said, And when he, Jesus, saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven. Now I think that flies opposite to everything we've been taught. Um, because you you know that sort of idea that you can only be um, you know you have to believe you can't use the faith of your family and all that sort of stuff it has to be you as an individual who believes Um, so I think well it's I don't know I kind of I've thought about this before and I can't remember whether I've come up drawn a a final conclusion and forgotten it or whether it's just one of those things I'm still sort of mulling over. And you know where you get you get to the commentators, they never they always miss the bits that you're interested in. Um, so I don't know I think I mean I guess there's a couple of things to be thinking in terms of. Obviously we're not in the thick of Romans where you know Paul's saying it's faith not works and all that sort of stuff and then there's this very tight um, sort of implication between how faith and works are contrasted and it's all about putting your faith in Jesus and that sort of stuff. So we're not quite there yet. That's not what's being explored here. So I think, and then the other thing I guess is that you can often get people or pastors who preach through these and they seem to be looking for the F word. That's faith. Um, so they're looking for the the word, and, and everything's like, Oh, look at the faith of the leper, look at the faith of the, of Peter, because you trust it, look at the faith of... And then you, I think you kind of become unstuck, because you probably probably in slightly too much weight on that. So, I, and that's why, um, you know, I think for the significance in this particular passage is going to be put on the, your sins are forgiven, it's the son of man has got authority to forgive sins. But I think it's still completely legitimate to ask because there's all that baggage around how we've been sort of taught to think about faith. But I think here, it could just be as simple as, Jesus is impressed at the lengths that the people have gone to. And so he takes this person, you know, he's surrounded by people, I'm sure he's surrounded by ill people. But he focuses his attention on this person because of the great lengths they've gone to so it could be as simple as that. That that's really all that's communicating, and we suddenly start in in by you know putting it more of a theological weight than it really merits. Um, so yeah, I don't I don't I don't think that. I mean, I can't remember. I'm sure I heard Jensen say something about this, but I can't remember what he says. But I don't think necessarily that. He's forgiven their sins because of their faith. Um again, it's probably a, one of those opportunities where he's thinking, right, now I want to demonstrate that as a son of man I've got the authority to forgive sins. Here's a perfect opportunity for that. Look at the great lads these people have gone through to bring this man in. I'll use him as my yeah, that sort of thing. Okay, three questions done and dusted. Are we happy? Yes, good. Obviously, if there are any other comments or questions or thoughts, you could discuss them between yourselves or ask Adrian, or you could come and ask me. If, you, if you're really struggling and can you can come and ask me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, let's continue discussing these things. Okay, in a minute we're going to um, spend a little bit of time reflecting on a bit of Chapter 6, kind of, um, which you'll notice we've kind of overlooked But before we do, we're going to stand and sing before the throne.